New Year's is a great time to make a commitment to get connected, and it's also a great time to make a commitment to get disconnected. Uh, this week, I, I chuckled some as I read an article that was about words or expressions that need to go away in 2017. Any of you see this? The top five words or expressions that need to go away in 2017. And there's a polling of several thousand adults. Number five, 5% 5 of the people who responded said the word unsure. Unsure should just go away. <clears throat> and I've been thinking, what's the problem with that word? I'm, I'm really unsure about it myself, you know. <laughs> Number four, 8% said the word huge just needs to go away. Huge. That might be more about for some people who has said that word a lot in 2016. You may be hearing it, you know, the inauguration is going to be huge, huge. <laughs> I say that with total respect for the president-elect. There was a tie for number three, 14% each, a tie. Number three, 14% said, let's get rid of the expression, I can't even. <laughs> I can't even. And I, I thought that was just a little odd myself, you know, I can't even, just a little odd. Some of you will get that about Tuesday, I'll just wait on you, okay. <laughs> Can't even, uh, okay, all right. I know. It's hard this time of year, isn't it? Okay. Also tied for number three was this expression. You know, right? You know, right? That's a double interrogative. I can't even understand why someone would use, use that expression. Number two was this expression that needs to go away. No offense, but. Oh yeah, you gotta love that. No offense, but. Which means in the next few moments, I'm going to offend you. That's what that means, okay. No offense, but. And then by almost a landslide, 38%, number one, said this word needs to go away in 2017, the word whatever. <laughs> whatever. Now, there are two possible meanings for whatever. You know, whatever can mean, okay, I'll go along with it, but I still think you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like, whatever, okay? <laughs> or it, it can just mean whatever can mean indecisive or without direction. Now that really needs to go away for every follower of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Indecisiveness, lack of direction is certainly not the life that the Lord has called us to. But way too many believers 
are approaching life day by day with a whatever attitude. Whatever. Whatever. Living without direction, living without decisiveness, that needs to go away. Because our Lord, you're going to see, has given us very clear direction. He's given very clear mission to us as believers. It is not, it's not about whatever living. It's not whatever living, but it's living that should ever be about this. There is something that the Lord says our living every day, every year should be about. And I want you to look at this passage of scripture with me in Luke chapter 10 this morning, Luke chapter 10, where the Lord shares with us what is the quality that changes your days and my days from being indecisive, lacking direction, to being crystal clear. What is that quality? Well, in Luke chapter 10, if you're using the Bible provided, that's page 896. I want you to listen to this event that happened in the life of Jesus. When he was really asked, What's important? What's life really all about? Now it was a trick question. Someone trying to trick our Lord. But he wasn't tricked. He gave a very, very clear and decisive answer about the quality that keeps us from living a, a whatever life. Spin reading this story, verse 25, Luke chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, 
Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What is it that God wants us to do? What does God want? Answering that question and living that answer changes everything. What is it that God wants? When you answer that that question about your life correctly, then your your life is incapable of being a whatever life, but it becomes a decisive life a targeted life. It becomes a life on mission. And that mission is incredible. How many of you would like to know that 2017 for you is going to be an incredible mission? Well, we can all know that if we live by what the Lord is sharing with us here about what God really wants. What is it that God wants? What is it that God wants you to do? Jesus, through this account, answered that question with one four-letter word. But it's not a dirty word. He said, what God wants you to do, what will make your life decisive, directed, fruitful, meaningful, what will make it a mission is to love. Love. Now let's look at that for a moment. If you go back to our text, the man answers the question correctly and we find out from the scriptures even being quoted by this man who was trying to trick Jesus, the correct answer, that loving God is our ultimate priority. Loving God is our ultimate priority. Now, why is loving God our ultimate priority? Loving God is our ultimate priority because very clearly here, Jesus says it is the first commandment. It's his first commandment. Listen to the man again in verse 27. Look at the text if you would there. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Now, so far, this lawyer is dead on. He is absolutely right. The Bible is crystal clear 
both Old Testament and New Testament, that the first and great commandment is that we should love God. This is our ultimate priority. It is the first commandment. The first command is that we love God. Now, I want you to notice the reason our loving God is so important and it really is the first command is because it is really God's first concern. His first concern is that we love him. You may remember that the Bible ends, of course, with the book of the Revelation. It is a, uh, an epistle that opens up in symbolism the end of the age. But it was addressed, you remember, to seven local churches, seven historical churches. And one of those churches to which the letter was addressed was the church at Ephesus. And of course, if you know anything about the New Testament, you know that the church at Ephesus was an incredible church, a wonderful church. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus, even as he addresses that church, he says, I know your faith. I know your patience. I know how you cannot endure false doctrine and false teachers. I know how you have borne up under persecution and you have not denied my name. Now, doesn't that sound like a great church? It was a great church. But then Jesus says this. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at the first. He said, I am very concerned that you have abandoned the love that you used to have for me. You see, the Lord was grateful for their testimony. He was grateful for the churches, the church at Ephesus and its legacy and its witness. He was grateful for that church's faithfulness, but what concerned him was a cooling of devotion for him. It was his first concern. Friends, nothing matters more to Jesus than our love for him. Nothing matters more. Loving Jesus matters more than all of our successes. You can be very successful in many ways and yet fail in this first and most important quality of love. Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians 13, doesn't he? He says, you may have all knowledge, you may have all wisdom, you may even suffer, you may have all giftings, you may have incredible endurance, you may have all these qualities. He says, but if we don't have love, if I don't have love, he says, it profits nothing. Nothing matters more to Jesus. 
Our love for him is more important than our successes. It is very possible that we as a church, we as individual Christians can look back on some incredible successes, but do we still have a fervent love for Jesus? Loving him matters more than our successes, and I want to tell you, loving him also matters more to Jesus than our failures. You see, we, we, are, we are tempted to believe that when we fail the Lord and we do that which we should not do or we don't do that which we should do and it's very obvious that we failed him, we, we think that's the issue. I can't get back because of the things I've done. I can't get back because of what's happened in my life. I, I can't get back because I've failed the Lord. I can't get back to where I once was. I, I can't really have the joy of the Lord because of what has happened in my life. And you know, my friend, listen carefully. That is a lie from the devil himself. Who failed Jesus more terribly and completely than the Apostle Peter? He cursed and swore and denied his Lord at the moment the Lord needed him. He took an oath that he did not know Jesus. And what did the Lord say to him when the Lord met him on that shore of the Sea of Galilee days later? What did the Lord say to him? Did the Lord say, Peter, are you sorry for what you did? Are you really sorry? Are you really, really, really sorry? Do you promise right now this will never happen again? Do you absolutely, before I reinstate you, do you absolutely promise this will never happen again? Is that what Jesus said to Peter? No. Isn't it interesting? He asked him a question. And he asked him the same question three times. What did he ask him? Peter, do you love me? The other things can be dealt with. The failure, I know. I'm completely aware of it. But what I want to know is, do you love me? You see, friend, what concerns our Lord most is our heart's desire. In the midst of our failures, in the midst of the way we've blown it, and we're so ashamed of ourselves, can we still say to the Lord, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You see, that's the beginning. That is, that's the decisiveness. That's the direction. That what my life is about, even though I fall and I mess up, and even though I go astray, and even though I love him, yet I sin, the reality is I do love him. Now, that brings a question, doesn't it? Question, how do we keep that love warm then? How do we do this? 
How do we keep a warm heart for Christ if it is the essential of, of living a life that's on mission and has purpose? How do I keep this warm heart for the Lord? Well, friends, I want you to know, it, it's not by focusing on your love for him. You, you will never have your heart warmed by focusing on the temperature of your heart for Christ. Because the reality is sometimes we just get downright cold hearted, don't we? So what warms our heart? Our heart is not warmed by our love for Christ. It's warmed by his love for us, right? That he loves us. We focus on that love. You see, that is our first consideration. The first consideration that we should have is not my love for Christ, but his love for me. Because I, my love is responsive to his love. You understand this? Your love is responsive to his love. What does the Bible say in 1 John? We are told we love him because why? He first loved us. And so the way my heart is warmed is not by looking at the cold embers of my own heart, my lack of devotion, but looking and focusing on the incredible, infinite love of God for me. That's what warms our heart. Brothers and sisters, the fuel for loving Jesus, listen carefully, the fuel for loving Jesus is the love of Jesus. We're told in Hebrews, looking to Jesus, the author, the originator, the founder, and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of God. Listen, our love grows where our life began. Our life began by looking to Jesus. That's where life begins. Looking to Jesus is the definition of faith. What is faith? Faith is looking away from yourself and looking to a saving God in Christ. That's faith. You'll never have faith by looking within yourself. You'll never have faith by looking at your church. You'll never have faith by looking at rituals. Faith is looking away from yourself and anything you can do and looking to Jesus who loved you and gave himself for you. That's where faith is born and that's where love is kindled again and again and again. The great theologian who was once asked, what is the greatest truth that has ever been revealed to you? And that saintly old man with a quivering lip and tears in his eye said, the greatest truth I've ever learned is this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the greatest truth you'll ever learn. 
And the Lord wants you to learn much more truth than that. Yes, he wants you to grow in knowledge. But friend, he wants you at the essence of who you are to have a childlike trust and focus on the love of Jesus Christ. His love produces our love. His love produces our love. Many of you are familiar with the author Francis Chan. Tremendous writer, outstanding pastor. He wrote a book a few years ago. It was a very, very powerful work that the Lord gave him. Many of you maybe have read it or studied. It's called Crazy Love. Ever read that book? You've not read it. It's, it's still there. Big red cover. It says Crazy Love. I encourage you to get that. It's about the crazy love of God for us in Christ. And it's about how we should respond with a complete devotion and a crazy love to him. Friends, the sanest people on this planet, the sanest people on this planet are people who are crazy in love with Jesus. Let's just face it, people are gonna think you're crazy anyway. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So if they're gonna think we're crazy anyway, let's, let's at least, Be true to this, we're crazy in love with Jesus. Loving God is our ultimate priority. And that love can never just be ours. By nature, it must be shared. And that's why I want you to see, look at our text again. Look at Luke chapter 10. We are loving God, that's our ultimate priority, and from that comes a love of people, which is our ultimate responsibility. Loving people is our ultimate responsibility. What did the lawyer say in verse 27? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Love God love people, you'll keep the law. Look at the Ten Commandments. Love God, and you'll keep those commandments. Love people, and you'll keep those commandments. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Loving God is not an emotion. Loving God is an expression. <laughs> you see, we, we get so deceived, we, we think we have to wait around till we feel, really feel something. We really, really feel something, and we think that's God's love. Well, you know, I felt a lot of things that weren't God's love. I had some pizza this week. I don't think that was God's love. That didn't didn't feel right at all. It's not an emotion. Yes, there is emotion there, but it's an expression. It is is a decision. It It is a devotion. Loving God is to be expressed, and it means it's expressed this way. Listen, when we love God, we love those who are made in his image. 
Next week, we're going to start a series of messages here for about six weeks. And the, the theme that I want to give to this series is in his image. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? How does the image of God help me to know who I am, who other people are, what's expected of me, and what God's doing in me, and where he's taking me? That's all wrapped up in his image. We're going to talk about that. But loving God means loving people that are made in his image. Now, someone may say, does that mean I have to love everybody? Sam, do I have to love everybody? No, 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 no. You don't have to love everybody. Matter of fact, you just got to love three kinds of people. There's only three kinds of people you got to love. It's real simple. You ready? God only expects you to love three kinds of people. Number one, he expects you to love people like you. That's other believers. We're to love our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We who share a like precious faith and are sharing as co-inheritors of the grace of life in Christ. We are family and so we are commanded to love those who are like us. So you need to love people who are like you. Number two, you're commanded to love people who are unlike you. People who don't share your same beliefs. People who don't believe a thing that you believe. The Bible says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. All people. Especially those who are of the household of faith. Those who are like us. But we are to love, do good, bless those who are unlike us. So you only have to love three kinds of people. You love those who are like you. You love people who are unlike you. And then lastly, you love people who don't like you. (laughs) What's that mean? Jesus said, love your what? Enemy. He said, what is it if you love your friends? What glory is there in that? Well, even the pagans do that. But when you love your enemies and you bless those who curse you and you do good to those who despitefully use you, when you share with those who won't share with you and you pray for those who have hurt you, then truly you are like your father in heaven who sends his reign on the just and the unjust. Love people like you, love people unlike you, and love people who don't like you. Other than that, you don't have to like them at all. You say, you know, Sam, listen, I can't do that. I can't do that, you know, right? (laughs) All right, we're getting there, okay. Yeah, you know, right? I can't do that. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah, me too, right? I can't either. You can't, I can't, he can. 
And where is he, Christian? Where is he? If you're a Christian, he's in your heart. The Bible says in Romans 5, 5, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you bowed the knee to Jesus, when you gave your life to Jesus, when you looked away from yourself and you trusted in Jesus, there was this miraculous deposit of the Spirit of Christ in your heart. His love was poured out in your heart. And so the issue for any Christian is not, I can't, we have to be honest, it's I won't. Love is a choice. And the power is the power of Christ and his presence in us. Love is never whatever. Love is our ultimate priority. Loving people is our ultimate responsibility. And that, my friend, is powerful. Love is powerful. The last thing I want you to see is it is this love that impacts the world. It's the love that changes the world. It's our ultimate opportunity. The ultimate opportunity you have to go through life and make a difference. The ultimate opportunity you have to have a life that means something. The ultimate way to leave this world a better place for your being here is to love. And we do that one person at a time. You know the old song I remember when I was a child. I'd like to buy the world a coat. Keep it company. I think I was in my cradle when I, that came out. I was watching that. <laughs> I remember looking through. Okay. Whatever. All right. <laughs> I know, right? So... Okay, I've just ruined this year for some of you. But guess what? You can't buy the world a coat. What a bunch of nonsense. I'd like to buy the world a coat. That'd be a mighty big coat. How about buying a person a coat? How do we change the world? One person at a time. How do you love the world? You love the world as you love the person right in front of you. As you love the person that God has brought into your circle of influence. As you love the wife that God has given you. You love the husband that God has given you. You love the children, the grandchildren. You love the neighbors where God sovereignly placed you by those neighbors. You love the people in the cubicles around you because God chose those people to be there. You love your classmates because it's no accident that they're your classmates. You love your teammates because it's no accident they're your teammates. You look around and whoever has been come into the influence of your life, maybe the person that's lying in the road in front of you. That's loving the world. 
That's how the world has changed. Jesus told this story. A man was lying in the road. Isn't this an incredible story? The good Samaritan. He's lying in the road. He's been robbed. Left for dead. And two people come by. A priest and a Levite. Now of all the people you would expect to stop and help this man, who would it be? A priest and a Levite. But the Bible says they came by, they stopped, they saw him, and they intentionally passed by. Maybe they were in too big a hurry. They had looked at their schedule for the day and it didn't say stop for man in the road. So it's not on my schedule so I don't have time. But you know, there's something interesting here. Maybe you never thought of it this way. You know what got in the way of these two men helping this man? Their religion. You say, I don't follow you, Sam. What if he is dead? If they go over and touch him and he's dead, then according to the ceremonial laws of their religion, they have made themselves unclean. And just in chance that he might be dead, not mostly dead, but dead, I won't stop and help him because that would impact my religion. You see how out of touch we can get with the heart of God? That somehow we have translated our religion, our religion has gotten into our mind that people whose lives are messed up, washed up, sin mangled, upside down, totally devastated. If I'm going to be holy, I better not get around them. Wow. How far from the heart of God can you get? I want to tell you something, Christian. I tell myself, you were a lot worse than this man in the road when Jesus came to you. What do we learn about love from this? And let me just give you this and we're done. There's one big lesson that we can take away from this. And if we could do this, it might transform 2017 for us because I, I'm not sure we even understand how to spell love. So maybe if we spell it a little differently, it'll help us understand what it means. I know love in English is spelled L-O-V-E, but let me tell you what love requires. Love is spelled W-O-R-K. You try to pick up a man 
on the road by yourself and get him on your animal in the broiling heat of the subtropical climate near Jericho. It was work. Love means work at times. Love means at times you put on your work clothes and you do something for somebody. Love means W-R-O-K. You, you want your heart to be touched? You want your heart to be warmed? Go do some good for somebody. And you feel the love of God. Love is spelled G-I-V-E. Give. There's only one measurement for love. For God who is love. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. He gave that which was most treasured to him. His only son. Christ loved us and he, what? Gave himself for us. Love is spelled G-I-V-E. Love doesn't say only. Praying for you, brother. Be blessed. G-I-V-E. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. Time. Love is costly because the one, the one treasure that we have that is limited for all of us is what? Time. We don't know how much time we have, but we got less time than we had in 2016, right? Love is T-I-M-E. You know, there are parents that buy into this terrible lie. They think, you know, I'm going to give my kids quality time. Quality time. I can't give them quantity time, but I'm just going to give them quality time. Well, I know we'd all like to have more time with our kids, but let me tell you something, moms and dads. The quality time comes out of the quantity time. It comes out of just spending time. I want you to know, your children, whether you do or not, they spell love T-I-M-E. And love is spelled R-I-S-K. It's a risky thing to love. You know why? Because that person might not love you back. That guy lying in the road, maybe it is a trick. Maybe that person is going to manipulate you. Maybe that person isn't going to respond. But you see, love is right, listen, because it is right. Love is right, not because of the response to love. Love in itself is right. But it's risky. And there are some people here this morning, you know what you've decided? You've decided you're going to pull in because someone's hurting you. You're going to stop helping others because you helped some people recently and they hurt you. Some of you are going to stop sharing your faith because you've shared your faith and you got in trouble for it or somebody got angry with you. Friends, 
That is to guarantee, that is to guarantee defeat and purposelessness. Because the reward of love, it is its own reward, right? My friends, love changes everything. Love destroys whatever living. Love is the mission. Loving God and loving others is living on mission. Loving God and loving others is living on mission. You cannot fail to accomplish your mission in life if each day you pray for grace to love God and love others. You cannot fail to see your mission accomplished. Love is simple. Love is eternal. Love is powerful. So let's get busy with it, right? Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray for your spirit to make your word come alive. I pray your Holy Spirit would take away anything that's just from me that is wood, hay, or stubble. And Lord, may the gold, silver, precious stones of your word be treasured in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray for people this morning right here in this room, people who are going to listen by radio, people who are going to listen online and watch online. I pray, Lord, that they will look away from themselves and look to Christ and be saved. Look to Jesus and see that greater than all their sins is the grace of Christ. Lord, I pray for us now. May we be rooted and grounded in love. May we be a people of love. May we be a people on mission as we love you and love those that are made in your image. Love people like us. Love people not like us. Lord, help us to love people who don't like us. We do declare that your love is in our hearts. Now help us to say yes. I will be a vessel of your love. In Jesus' name and God's people said.